Hi. So I, um, I, I don't really feel like spending too much time on introducing, you know, about myself. Um, I, if there's stuff that you would like to know, I'm happy to tell you after. Um, I'm, I'm really um, honored to be here. I think I invited myself, maybe, I can't remember. <laughs> but um, I'm, I am grateful for the opportunity to reflect back on my journey with cancer and, um, and then have the opportunity to share that publicly and be witnessed. Um, and cancer is now something that affects all of us, either directly or indirectly. Um, so it's certain that we know someone, um, love someone, have loved someone, or have ourselves been impacted um, by this. So although the story that I'm telling you is mine, it's what happened to me, um, I suspect that there's some universal relevance. And um, so I think my intentions for, um, for wanting to offer this, one of them is, is really that, that this is, it's so common. Um, and um, since it touches us all, it's nice to have um, the ability to just come together and, and talk about it. Uh, a little bit. Um, one of them was was for me to reflect on a journey that I swore I would never forget. You know, just the the some of the core learnings of it that were so impactful for me and changed my life in um, pretty much all positive ways, although not easy ways. Um, that's. Yeah, that's one of one of my core intentions, and and then and I think just to be open, to to be truthful, and be open to what arises, um, maybe to be of benefit. So um, thank you for coming. Um, so it's been four years now. It was this time of year, uh, four years ago, that I was going through treatment for ovarian cancer. I was 47 when I was diagnosed, and um, ovarian cancer often doesn't have any symptoms, um, or it only presents very late. And um, so actually, I, th I think I'm gonna outline this in terms of sort of some, some key learnings and key um, points that um, arose as I reflected back on the journey. And, um, the first one has to do with, with how I was diagnosed. Um, I got a blood clot, actually, in my leg. And I you know, had gone to bed feeling perfectly fine, and I woke up with pain in my calf. And um, I walked out into the kitchen, and I said out loud to my mom, who happened to be visiting, I said, I think I have a blood clot. Isn't that weird? And, and you know, yeah, that's weird. And, Huh. And then I proceeded to um, stuff that knowledge and intuition 
all the way down, put on my socks and shoes and go to work. Um, and I went to work that day and I went to work the next day and the next three weeks actually. And I, I had this pain in my calf every minute of every day for three weeks. And it turns out blood clots are really painful, more so than I learned about in medical school. Um, and it wasn't how I learned about it. You know, it, it wasn't red, it wasn't swollen. Um, but what I, what I find kind of profound is I sort of forgot about that. I forgot about that initial moment of knowing and I convinced myself it was my running shoes or it must be something else. And, you know, I rubbed it, I massaged it, I stretched it. I, and finally, um, finally I did get an ultrasound and there it was, it was a blood clot. And what I find um, just amazing about that is, you know, both the, the, the immediate intuition and knowing, I had never had a blood clot before. How would I know what that feels like? I don't think having a medical background really was the informing piece. I think it, it was some kind of deeper um, knowing and intuition from my body. And then the mind's ability to negate that, um, create mistrust of that, and, and basically not allow me to seek help. I sort of just felt like I, I can't go, why would I go to a, a doctor about this pain in my calf? It, it can't be anything. Um, and I, I feel when I reflect on that, it, you know, a great amount of sadness actually at the disconnection that I had from my body, even at that time, having been a practitioner for 15 years and, and practicing, you know, and maybe that helped me, maybe it helped me with my immediate intuition, um, but it, di it didn't give me enough power to, to get me to medical attention sooner. Um, so how, you know, how true it is that we kind of live a, a short distance away from our body. Um, the tradition I began practicing meditation in is the Rinzai Zen tradition, and they use these clackers to open and close every period of sitting. And um, I brought them to illustrate a point um, or a, a, a way that I felt about my diagnosis. Um, so you can see how this, how this affects you. That was sort of what it was like. Like getting the getting that information. It it was like all of the stirrings and the multi-focused attention, the continuous partial attention to many things just came down to wham. One thing. One thing right now. And although that one thing had many pieces, um, the sense that my life now had a, a single momentum in this direction, an overarching um, intention to, um, 
to heal, whatever that might mean for me. Um, so what I find strange and found strange, and I, I think I even noticed it at the time, but I particularly noticed it when it started to go away, um, is what a relief it is to live with a clarity of focus and attention. What a just, you know, how strange that that would come out of being diagnosed with cancer, but to, to live knowing um, what is most important this day, this, even this moment of this day, without the scatter and the background noise that um, clutters our lives, you know, naturally. And, um, you know, not to incriminate that or, or make it really wrong, but it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to live with continuous partial attention to, to many things. Um, so, and I noticed that, um, I noticed that fade as I, um, came into my recovery, you know, and finished treatment and slowly felt the, you know, the disturbances kind of coming back in. Um, so some of the, the points that I um, will mention today are learnings that I say as a mindfulness teacher, that I read as a mindfulness practitioner, that I hear, that I receive, that I feel like I have known, and yet there was a difference between the way that I knew it and, and to really just bring it down into my life and into my body and into my experience. So <clears throat> one of those um, had to do with um, the way I defined myself as a strong person. And a person that you know is pretty resilient and can I can handle things. I mean, I could. I, I ran a marathon once. I, I climbed mountains. I I felt like I was a strong person. Um, but when it came to having pelvic surgery twice, actually, um, three weeks apart, and then three weeks after that, beginning chemotherapy, it just didn't play out that I I bounced back like a like the, the way I thought that I would. Um, it was it took me a long time to recover from each surgery. Um, I lost a lot of weight. Um, and then you know chemotherapy with its attendant fatigue and nausea. And there's there is nowhere to go with that other than acceptance. And that, you know, that was an interesting, like, experience of just letting go. Like, wow. If I had ever imagined myself having cancer, that wasn't what I pictured. And yet that's how it was. And, and there, was no, there was no other way through it but to just, just accept that that's, that's how it was for me. Um, kind of along with that is also the recognition of how little control I had. Um, you know, and, and we say that, and I, you know, I, I say that still a little more from the head than from the heart and from the experience. I had no 
control and no predictability to, to what I could or couldn't do, you know, not just not next week, not the next day, but, you know, even like the next hour sometimes. I, I don't know. Will I be able to have a cup of tea with you? Will I be able to pick my kids up from school? And again, that was one of those things that there's, there's nowhere to go with this. There's just, you know, the, the only thing I can do with it is accept it and, and let go and just let go kind of again and again. And, um, I, you know, I, I can't say that that was a beautiful or easy practice. Um, and yet it, it turned out to be really important, um, a really important learning of like, oh. And so this is really what that means. Or, or this is my version right now of what that means. Um, one of the most powerful um, cards that I received during my treatment, early on in my treatment, was um, from my, um, he would be my stepdad, um, my mom's husband. And it had a quote on it by Vivian Green that goes like this. Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. And I just loved that. And I, I really took that to heart as kind of a mantra of my whole period of treatment. How can I um, do this differently? How can I do more than just wait for this to be over and like hunker down and um, fight cancer? Um, maybe I could do it differently. And uh, so I, I kind of took the attitude of, I'm not fighting this. Um, I, of course, I want to be well again. Um, I want to have healing. But I don't want to do it through fighting. I just, I didn't resonate with that term. I'd rather do it through dancing. So I, I kind of let, let cancer have its way with me in a way, let the treatment have its way with me and just, you know, just let the tears pour when they were going to pour and, and let my heart be open and available to joy when joy would show up. And it turned out it did often, very often. Um, I, I never had a friend turn me down when I wanted to go for a walk and, and wanted companionship. Um, I, I never saw a more beautiful fall in Missoula than that fall. Um, the foothills looked different every day that I was able to, to walk in them. Beauty just seemed like it was everywhere. And I, I just felt, I felt love flowing in and out in a way that um, it's hard to experience in our, in our regular daily life. I would practice um, a lot, my, my formal meditation practices. I, I couldn't really sleep at night, and um, so I'd be up at 3 and 4 in the morning sometimes, and just I'd just go to my cushion, and I'd practice, and um, did a lot of body scanning. And um, one day I was feeling, just feeling into the scalp, and I could feel my 
hair follicles, just, just wanting to cast off the hair, just prickling and, you know, feeling so, almost like they were angry. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was time to shave my head. So I called, um, I called over a few friends that night and we had a, a ceremony. We had a head shaving party. Um, I know I'm not the first one that's ever done that, but I had everyone take a snip of my hair and then we got out the clippers and then we got out the razor and we shaved it all the way down. And then we turned on some music in my living room and we had a dance party. Um, and another thing I did, you know, actually right, right before, a couple hours ago before this class, I called a friend and, who was really, really with me in this journey, and I just I asked her, what do you remember? You know? And she mentioned something that I had completely forgotten about, so I'm glad I asked her. She, and it was that I was determined to be in the Nutcracker that year, uh, and I was the maid. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I had, you know, I had to wear a wig. I was bald, but um, but I did it. I didn't want to let go of it, and uh, and she she said she remembered. There's this cast party on Friday night, and I I danced with my bald head at the cast party, and I had completely forgotten about that. So the the dancing theme, just how it is, um, was really really relevant for me. Um, I tend to be a very visual person, um, and there is a particular image that that was with me my whole treatment and recovery. Um, but even stronger than a visual image, it, it it was like a felt body sense image, and it was that of a spider web. Um, and I was on this web, and everyone was on this web, and I. I could feel, I mean, I want to say I felt like I could feel, but actually, no, I could feel the, the repercussions, the vibrations on the tendrils of the web far and wide to my, my near circle and far, you know, and friends of my parents and, you know, distant. Um, I, I could feel the prayers people sent me the love that they sent me, the grief that they felt, the fear that they felt. And I had such a strong, just palpable sense of our interconnectedness as, as beings um, that I, I wouldn't trade for anything to have, to have experienced that. And, you know, again, it's something that I know that we, we speak about and we feel sometimes to some degree, but I just, it was just so alive in me um, that it, it helped make the journey beautiful in a, in a very real way. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the emotional ride of, of cancer. Um, you know, this is another area where as practitioners and teachers of mindfulness, you know, we learn and we speak about how we are, we are not our, we are not only our physical bodies. We are not 
our thoughts. Um, however, uh, emotions for me were a different thing. And I think that um, even as you know, a, a pretty experienced practitioner, I held more closely to the emo my emotions as really being mine because they just they're so real, right? They're so strong and and um, so of course I I had a lot of emotions I had a, a, emotions at diagnosis but not the strongest of them. Um, I think recovering, waking up from surgery with holes in my body and organs missing, um, that's when the tears really just started to flow. And it really got so that quite often I couldn't answer the question, how are you? I, I, I'd open my mouth and, and tears would come instead of words. Um, and yet that all seemed within the realm of, you know, surfable waves. Um, until I had my first chemotherapy, which, you know, I was, I was really frightened about having this toxic medicine dripped into my body and what would it do and, you know, how destroyed would I be the next day and, and that, that day. And um, so it, the day came and went and then the next day came and I woke up feeling terrific. Um, good energy, great mood, body okay. It was it was just so unexpected. Um, so I'll, I'll take it. Um, went through that day like you know I'm I'm doing well. Um, next day, different story. Just knocked all the way down. Um, physically, emotional darkness. I mean, just and turbulence um, that felt you know it felt really like nothing I had ever experienced, and that that kind of went on. It took me a couple of days to dig out from that, and the nausea and all of the stuff I had been expecting the day before hit. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get through it, really. Um, but at some point, I was out in the park and I ran into a neighbor who had been on a cancer journey of his own. And we kind of had, we didn't know each other very well at all, and we had a somewhat superficial conversation, but, but yet connecting on that level um, as two people with this shared experience. And he said, how about that roid rage? And, and I said, what? The, the roid rage, you know, the steroids? And like it all clicked into place. I had received a high dose of steroids before my chemotherapy to help protect against the toxicity of the medicine. And, and that's what I had been riding. And that's what had caused, you know, this really kind of great mood, almost euphoric and masking of the nausea and the fatigue and all of that. And then it just, it, it crashed and it created a crash like a tidal wave. And it helped me so much to learn that the steroids had been part of this. In fact, I was, I was able to say to myself, that, that wasn't me. Those weren't my emotions. They weren't even mine. Um, and so, you know, then the next cycle, it, it happened again. 
and it was still hard, but I had a little bit of space, a little bit of distance to them and ability to sort of say, okay, I know this, I know this is a wave I'm riding and it's not, um, it's not my fault. It's not my weakness. In fact, it's not even really mine. It's the steroids. It's not me. Um, and then, you know, the third time, and then I started to, I started to take that question to its natural progression. What about all the emotions that aren't steroid induced? Are those, are those mine? And, and again, it just, it, it helped me loosen my grip a little bit, even on emotions, which for me had been like, I am an emotional creature. Um, and you know what, I'm still an emotional creature, and I have this a little, a little less um, stickiness to them and a little less sense that they define me. Uh, and I, I think it has made it easier to surf the waves of emotions as they arise. So um, another, another sort of felt image of this journey for me um, is that of a permission slip, like you used to get in school, the pink hall pass. Um, I felt like I had just been issued a little pink permission slip. And I got to take some time off work, which I badly needed to do um, from a 16-year job that was making me really unhappy. Um, I got to love more. I got to tell people I loved them without, you know, without it being Christmas or their birthday, um, I got to receive love. I just got to open my heart and drink it in. Um, and I got to dance around bald. I mean, you know, when else could you do such a thing? So the permission slip, oh boy, it was so palpable. And as I finished chemotherapy, and people would come up to me and say, so you're done, right? And there was a, a big part of me that was like, uh-uh, no, I'm not done. First of all, I'm not done healing, um, and I'm definitely not ready to have my permission slip yanked, because what would that mean? What would that mean? Do I have to have the same life I had before? Are you done? You're done, right? That to me, it just felt like, so you're going back in that box you were in, right? Um, mm -mm. Mm -mm. So I did go back to work. <clears throat> I went back to the same job. And um, I, I remember a moment of... Um, getting on the computer to check my lab test that would tell me how my cancer was. There's a tumor marker, and I could look it up on my chart. And so, and this is maybe even a year after, you know, into my um, healing process. <clears throat> and I got through the different layers of logging in, and one more click, and I was going to see the results. And I paused, and 
you know, just inquired of myself, what is it that I really want to see here? And I, I had doubt, you know, I had some doubt. Like, wow, if that number has gone up again, I get my permission slip renewed. And if it's low, and I could feel this. I mean, this isn't just an intellectual experience. I'm feeling this in my body. If it's, if it's low, I have to, I could feel myself like wilt. Like, I have to keep working at the VA. And I have to stay in, in it, 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 a box. It felt like a box. And of course that's not true, you know? It's so easy to, to, to hear that that's not true for any of us. Um, and yet, apparently I needed ovarian cancer to learn some of these lessons at a core enough level to, um, to help me make some changes in my life that needed to happen. Um, and, you know, I, I hope I hope none of us need to get a, a life-threatening diagnosis to live the way we need to be living, to, to hear um, the truth of, of what it is we need to be doing or not doing. Um, and yet sometimes, you know, sometimes it takes a, a big whack to get, to get the message. So um, I think I'll close with um, the, the form of mindfulness that I teach is entirely secular. So our sutras are the poets. So I'll, I'll close with a sutra by Rumi. The way of love is not a subtle argument. The door there is devastation. Birds make great sky circles of their freedom. How do they learn it? They fall, and falling, they're given wings. <laughs>